Uh, today we're going to be continuing on in our series, uh, The Best Laid Plants. Uh, this is a series that we've been going through and kind of uh, examining different aspects of our life, uh, whether our identity and submitting our identity to God's plan instead of our best laid plans that are often frustrated, uh, looking at uh, our purpose and submitting our purpose to what God's plan for our life is. Uh, last week, we took a look at sexuality and marriage and, and God's design and plan for those things uh, and how to represent Jesus and the church. Uh, and today, what we're going to be doing is actually taking a look uh, at what God's plan for the church is. Uh, why do we exist? Uh, why do we gather? And there's different various concepts uh, of what church is. You know, when somebody mentions the, the name church, um, we've been teaching throughout our existence that the church is the, the gathered body of believers, that the, the very word in the Greek, ekklesia, means uh, a gathering of people. Uh, and so really the, true, the church is that gathered body of Christ, um, but throughout our society and culture, uh, the, the word church conjures up like different images or thoughts within minds. Uh, you might think of like the, the, you know, the typical like white church with the, the tall steeple, maybe stained glass. Maybe you think of priests or pastors, uh, Sunday mornings. Uh, for me, when I was growing up, um, the word church uh, was, was almost like a, a bad word in our house. Um, and, and that's because we thought everybody that was going to a church uh, was misled and wrong. Uh, so I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness, uh, and Jehovah's Witnesses go to kingdom halls, not churches. Uh, and so that's one of the ways they kind of like separated themselves. But, but then we would always look at people that went to church and be like, oh, they're so blind, they're so misled, like we need to help them understand and they can come to our kingdom hall. And uh, it's just kind of crazy to me that um, I was baptized as a Jehovah's Witness on the building on Wright Road uh, when I was 11, so 30 years ago, something like that. Uh, and now I came back to Janesville and planted a church <laughs> and not a kingdom hall. Um, so there's different concepts with that. Uh, the culture around us will, will think of church as something that is outdated, uh, something that's old-fashioned, maybe something that's good to go to every once in a while. Uh, maybe they consider the church to be closed-minded, um, or even some people consider the church to the extreme uh, of being hateful, uh, especially if we're not allowing ourselves to, to conform to culture and, and how things are becoming uh, more woke or whatever the term might be. Uh, and so that's we get to the reason for the sermon. What is God's plan for the church? If he died for the church to take place, if his blood paid for the forgiveness of our sins, but also for us to have brothers and sisters who are all adopted into the family of Christ, and, and then he has a purpose for the church, what is it? Because it's more than just showing up on a Sunday morning uh, and saying hi to somebody that we only see once a week uh, and kind of getting a, a re-top up or a refuel up for our spirituality to get through the week. There's an eternal, uh, supernatural purpose to the church, uh, and that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1, so if you have your Bibles and want to head there, we'll also have the verses on the screen. Uh, we're going to jump around in Ephesians a little bit, head to some of the Gospels, uh, but we're going to end back in Ephesians 1 again, uh, just to kind of let you know where we're going. Um, and again, the verses will be on the screen, but let's pray. 
Uh, Father, we come before you. Um, we just want to come before you and, and just first of all uh, acknowledge we are in your presence. We come and we worship uh, in order to declare the goodness and greatness of who you are and what you've done for us. We do it to uh, declare the truth of the reality of your existence uh, and to set aside the stresses and worries and burdens uh, and cares of this world to, to say that there is something greater out there than ourselves. And so, Father, we come before you and we submit to your holy word this morning. We gather as a church. We call this uh, a church. But we want to be what you died for us to be, what you have worked within us to be. And so, Lord, we pray for encouragement. I pray for strengthening. I pray uh, for us to be uh, woken up to what you've called us to be, not anchored to the world, but for your purposes. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we started off a little bit. We kind of acknowledged what the church was. Again, the, the Greek word is ekklesia. It means a, a gathering uh, of people. Uh, but within this, uh, we find out kind of what the church is a little bit as we get into Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. This is Paul. Uh, he starts off by praying here in verse 17. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and, and revelation in the knowledge of him. Pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what's the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, uh, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead, seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. What is the church? I mean, this passage gives us some insight into this, but, but really in, in a supernatural way that, that has nothing to do with what the building looks like, how, how we gather. Like, like those are all things that, that we functionally and practically will do in order to, to help facilitate what this verse is talking about. And if we're doing things as a church that, that don't line up with this purpose, don't uh, further this purpose, maybe we shouldn't be doing them. And then maybe we need to be adding some stuff that, that helps us to, to align with this. But, but here there's a few things that I find absolutely uh, astounding in this. Where is Christ Jesus seated? In the heavenly realms, right? What is put underneath him, uh, under his feet, Every ruler, authority, power, dominion, every title given, all these things are under the feet. Where is the church? The church is the body of Christ, right? So where is the church in relation to every ruler, authority, power, dominion, title given, not only in this age, but the age to come? Right. We're in Christ as his body above all these things. 
And yet, how often do we allow ourselves to get mired down, bogged down, and so concerned with all these other little things of the world instead of anchoring and walking with Christ in these things and his purposes and his plans? It is sad to me when I see people getting stressed out, anxious, angry, fearful, worried, and consumed by the petty politics of this world in comparison with the truth of what Christ is doing and how he wants us to to be above all of these things. And and so as a church, uh, that needs to be one of our purposes is that we're not anchored in the world and and we don't invest time in doing things that are drawing us closer to the world, but rather walking in the sense of identity. And again, this is a supernatural aspect, right? Right? That in different ways, there's practical things that we can do to to walk this out. But fundamentally, in principle, and in truth, as we are in Christ, we're far above every ruler, every authority, power, dominion, every title given in this age and the one to come. But then here's the other thing. It says, here's Jesus, appointed as the head over everything for what? For the church, which is his body, and the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Have you ever really reflected on what that sentence means? That us here together, the redeemed sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, he is saying we are the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. We are the body of Jesus Christ on the earth. We are his fullness. Do you feel like that? Do you feel like the fullness of Christ? And I think we struggle with that concept. Like there might be times where we feel really connected and we, we had a great devotional. God's used us in an amazing way and, and we're giving him glory. But I think in our day-to-day, daily lives, as we wake up, we interact with our family, we go to work, we, we approach the fears, worries, and anxieties of this world, do we approach those things with the mentality that, that we are, as part of the church, the fullness of the one who fills things in every way? I, it seems incredulous to me. Because I don't feel like that. But again, it doesn't matter what we feel. We have this stated, inspired, God-breathed by the Holy Spirit that is declaring the church, which you're a part of, is the fullness of the one who fills all things. We're meant for eternal purpose. I still, like I struggle with this. Like it doesn't make sense. But, But you continue on in Ephesians, going to chapter 3 and verse 10. And Paul then says in this, uh, the reason for this is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it doesn't make sense to me in my earthly mindset of, of why God would choose to call us our, our motley crew of men and women who are trying to follow Jesus imperfectly at times, stumbling over ourselves, and, and at the same time being used mightily for eternal purposes. 
Why, why would he choose us? And yet it says in his multifaceted wisdom, he's using us to make known the mystery of the gospel. And this is the eternal purpose of why Jesus died on the cross. Like, like the whole reason that Jesus came down to earth to die was to pay for our sins, to redeem mankind, for those who repent and turn to him, were then adopted into his family. But, but then he left, and he didn't continue to do the work of the ministry, and we are in anticipation for his return. But he left us to, to be on mission with a purpose. His death and resurrection and then his ascension into heaven was all for the purpose of bringing us together so that God's multifaceted wisdom could be made known through us to the world around us, that the gospel might be preached uh, to that. Again, this is God's wisdom, not ours. He's choosing to use us, to use you, to display the gospel and to reflect Jesus. Actually, more than reflect. Like, like we, we like to use that term reflecting Jesus to one another. And I think that that term of reflecting Jesus, um, we use in a way that actually lessens what we are. Because if you think of that, that idea of reflecting, is like, um, here I am on earth and I, I've kind of got my imperfections, I've got the things that I'm dealing with, my own insecurities, the, the choices that I make, I make some mistakes here and there, and, and here's Jesus shining his light, his gospel, his grace onto me and what he's done in my life, uh, and so then I can take this opportunity and, and I can take what he's shining towards me and, and I can kind of reflect that out to other people. Kind of in the hope of like, please don't see me at all. I'm just a mess. I just want you to see Jesus. And, and it's true, right? We don't want to be glorified. We want Christ to be glorified. We don't want to be made much of. We want Christ to be made much of. But he doesn't call us to be reflectors. He calls us to be his body. He doesn't call us uh, to just reflect the light. He says in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are the light of the world. I think what Jesus did on the cross through his death and resurrection is, is so much greater and so much more powerful than what we actually live out of. Because what we actually tend to practically live out of is this, this sense of, I'm an imperfect human who God is saved by grace absolutely true. Now I'm going to imperfectly kind of go along and, and hopefully point to Jesus as much as I can. And, and if we walk through life in that identity, we are going to point people towards Jesus. God will work in grace and in power in people's lives. But it's not actually walking in in what he died to give us. To be his body, to be the actual light we wonder, what is he thinking when he wants to use us as imperfect people? But, but yet in John 16, he says this, I'm telling you the truth, it's for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send you. We're looking at it's being God's multifaceted wisdom for the church to be the body of Christ. 
what this verse that we just read, I'm telling you the truth, it's for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come. What this verse is saying is that it's God's plan, his wisdom, that it's better that Jesus is in heaven right now and we're here. That's his plan. Now, I think that it would be, like, in my mind, my plan, if I'm looking at this, is like, all right, let's just have Jesus keep walking around and, and doing these miracles and, and let him teach. And, and if he would have just been doing that for the last 2,000 years and, and kind of, like, disappearing and popping up in different places, like, I think that would have been a much better plan. Anybody else think, like, in your, your own earthly mindset, that would be a better plan? Like, that'd be easy because then we could just sit down and, and kind of do nothing and be like, yeah, Jesus, go. But that isn't his plan. He says it's better for us. It's better for us that he would leave so that the Holy Spirit would come, would indwell each one of us to empower us to do the work of the ministry. And as we submit to that and, and doing the work of the ministry, we begin to walk in this new identity that he's given to us. We're actually fulfilling the purpose that he gives to us. And as we do that, we go through this sanctifying process that transforms us into a brighter, brighter light and, and more perfectly, more complete as being part of the body of Christ. This is his plan because it's part of how he works within us, transforms us, and then sends us out on mission. Matthew 28, uh, verses 18, is, as Jesus is teaching his disciples before he ascends, says this, All authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Like, again, this isn't like Jesus died on the cross. Death and sin is defeated. He now has all authority in heaven, on earth. And my plan would be like, all right, go. And that's what the disciples and that's what the apostles were kind of expecting. And yet he says, you go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Again, the plan was never after the cross and death and sin is defeated that Jesus stays and continues the work. That The plan was that he was giving us the power through the Holy Spirit to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing people, and growing this body of Christ to, to spread the light of the gospel, to represent Jesus here on the earth. And I think that this calling, this mission, is something that, that we struggle with because uh, it's something that the apostles struggled with. Like if we go into Acts chapter 1, and I, I didn't plan to have... Um, this verse up there, but if you have your Bibles or device and, and you want to go there, um, Acts chapter 1, kind of in the beginning, um, verse 8, he talks again, he's referring back to Matthew 28, you'll be my witnesses uh, here on earth, you'll be clothed with the Holy Spirit uh, to the ends of the earth. Verse 9, after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him up out of their sight. Like, 
I, I really like this. I, I, love, I love to envision this because he, he's sitting there and he's teaching them, right? So I kind of see them, you know, all kind of like sitting down and reclining and maybe like holding their chins and like, yeah, this, what he's saying is like really good stuff. And, and I can't wait to like he continues his work. Uh, and then all of a sudden, he just kind of like starts hovering and rising up into the air. And, and can you imagine being one of the disciples? Like, what's going on? As you watch him, like, ascend to the point, and he becomes, like, you ever do that with a balloon? You know, like, like your kid loses a balloon, and, and there's, like, crying that's kind of happening. As you watch, it kind of disappear, and there's, like, this weird, like, trance that you go into. Like, I want to watch the balloon as far as it can go. I imagine that's what they're doing with Jesus. Like, he's being taken up into the clouds, and they're just trying to look at here goes their Messiah. Here goes their rabbi. Here goes the ministry leader that they've been following over the past years. And, and as they're watching him head into the clouds, they're staring up in that. Uh, suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. In verse 10, they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? <laughs> like they're just like, oh, there he goes. And all of a sudden, two angels are like, what are you guys doing? Why are you standing there looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who's been taken from you uh, into heaven will come the same way that you've seen him going into heaven. In other words, why are you still standing here? He gave you stuff to do. He'll come back. He promised he'll come back. All of his promises have been fulfilled. So why are you sitting there standing and waiting for him to do something else? When he told you to do, he told you to be his body. And I think as a church, we still do the same thing. Like, like we can study and we can look at Jesus and the beauty of the gospel and everything that he's done for us. And we need to do that. We need to reflect uh, on us finding salvation, our sins being forgiven, and the beauty and the love of Christ. We, we need to meditate on the things that he has done. But we cannot sit there and stare at the beauty of Christ and then not move. Because what he said to the apostles is, why are you still standing here? And so they went and they prayed and they followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. And from that small crew, nations were disciples. And we are here today some 2,000 years later, still tempted at times just to be staring at the beauty of Christ, but not moving, not doing what he's actually called us to do to go out and to spread the gospel, to be the body of Christ. And this is not necessarily talking about all missionaries, but every aspect, every facet of our life, wherever we go, we are the body of Christ, whether it's working in retail or stay-at-home mom, or working in construction or a factory, uh, retired. Like there is no, I, there's no retiring from the kingdom of God. Let me just say that. Like this whole idea of like, let's work really hard so then we can take it easy, that's a completely earthly mindset. God has given you a purpose and identity and there is no end point when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Like, like you're in this for eternity now. You're just starting. There is no retirement in that. 
And, and that's one of the reasons throughout Scripture it says to honor our elders and to learn from them. And so we need to be able to, to do this, but we all need to, to walk in this. And again, in greater ways than we like to necessarily think. Uh, John 14, verse 12. Again, this is uh, during the, the Last Supper. John 14, 15, uh, 16, and 17 is all some of his last teaching uh, to his disciples before they went to the Garden of Gethsemane and, and then moved on from there. But John 14, verse 12, part of what his last teaching was is saying, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me or the, the one who saved, the ones that redeemed, will also do the works that I do and will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Father. If you believe in Christ, if you are saved, you are a new creation empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the same works that Jesus does and then even do greater works than these because he's going to the Father. But what does this mean? Right? Because, because here's Jesus without sin, fully God, fully man, and when he prays for somebody, they're healed, right? And he's saying, we'll do the same things, and even greater things. So here's what some of this verse means, and I think some of it is this supernatural ministry, uh, mystery that we continue to, to walk out and learn about. Uh, the first thing is in the, there's a greater number of miracles that have happened in the last 2,000 years uh, than Jesus accomplished while he walked the earth for three Instead of him walking the earth by himself as, as one individual, God-man through, through Israel and then popping over here and then popping over there, there's now millions of us filled with the Holy Spirit across the whole globe that have been called to do the works and the ministry of Jesus Christ as his body. Millions of us that can pray for people to be healed and people are healed. We have examples of that within this very room. He calls us to do this, and this has been happening and spreading for the last 2,000 years. So, so far more miracles have been done through the wisdom of God choosing to use us than Jesus himself walking around on the earth. But also, there is a greater sense of magnitude and glorifying God in the miracles that are happening today than when Jesus walked the earth. Now, why do I say that? Again, here you have Jesus on the earth without sin. Fully God, fully man, in a closer relationship with the Father than, than I think that we can fathom. And, and so he's in that close relationship doing everything that the Father tells him to do. He's perfect. He's without sin. He prays for somebody. They're healed. It's glorifying to God. God's power, God's amazing, God's mercy and grace in this healing. Then you have us as the church uh, who have come out of darkness. Jesus never came out of darkness. Who, who were freed from the chains of sin. Jesus was never chained to sin. He broke the chains of sin. We are the ones that have come out of the mud of this world that have been cleansed off through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are the ones that have been made new in Jesus. 
who then he has given the authority and the ability to go and to cast out demons and to pray for the people who are sick and to be his body. And as we do that, coming from our broken past into our new life anchored by the Holy Spirit, the glory given to God and what he can do through men and women is astounding. Because we came from imperfection. Because we came from bondage to sin. The fact that he can transform us. The different stories in this room where you yourself have come from, where, where you have been, the sins that you have, have wrestled with, the, the lowest points of your life, and, and yet God says that he will use you in miraculous ways, and that, and that happens? Like, how mind-blowingly astounding is that? And I think that gives even greater glory to God because he takes what was broken, makes it new, beautiful, and glorious through Christ. And that's how we need to walk. That's how we need to live in this, this b- beautiful aspect of I am in the body of Christ. I am his son. I am his daughter. I am a new creation. The Holy Spirit indwells me. I'm in the body of Christ, which is above the rulers and powers and authorities of the world in this age and the age to come. That is who we are. And that gives so much glory to God as we acknowledge and walk in that. Versus if we sit here and again we're like, well, I'm, I'm this broken little jar of clay that it's like so messy and so like there's so much sin on me and I just well, I want to like take Jesus and kind of reflect him to others. He'll use that. But it's not walking in the truth that he gave us. It's not the fullness of the identity that he died for us to have. And so we're called to do this and we're called to walk and do the works that he did. Why don't we see this more often? Why, why, when he says we can do the works that he did, we do greater works than he did. Why don't we see this more often? And, and I think the question that I was asking myself this last night. If this is what he promised, why don't we see it more? And the question that then came to me in the next thing was, how much do I actually pursue that? How much do I actually like, acknowledge everything that Christ did for me? And I think we do that more often than we acknowledge everything that he calls us to do. How often do we actually acknowledge that he calls us to be his body? that he calls us to to have supernatural lives in a natural world. And and we actually pursue that and set aside the distractions of this world to to step out in faith. And we make mistakes along the way, but if we're not taking that step out in faith, if we're not pursuing after it, why would we see things that happen? Again, we've seen miraculous healings happen within here as we do step out and pursue it. But I, but I think what happens is, is we go in growths and spurts as great needs come up versus abiding and walking with our Father every day and every moment the way that Jesus did. He set the example for us in how to do this. And so we need to pursue this more. Because the truth is, much more of our uh, expectations 
are not to walk in the truth of what God died for us to be. But we walk with the expectation of our earthly perceptions that we're not enough. We feel like we're not enough. We're, we're, not, we're not capable. We're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We're not wise enough. We're, we can look at all of our imperfections. We had the example of, of the mirror here a couple weeks ago where we smashed the thing on the ground. But we can sit there and come up with all of these excuses of, of why we're not good enough to walk in the truth of God's declaration. But the truth is our weaknesses do not matter. Our weaknesses don't even matter. Sure, they're there, but they don't matter. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, He's talking about one of his weaknesses. He's praying to God about it. God responds in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. This word perfected is teleos. It also means complete. My, my power is perfected and complete in weakness. So Paul's response out of that is, I'll gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So, so Paul's response to this is to say, when, when I see a weakness within me, maybe a fear or, or a doubt of like, if I pray for this somebody... Will it actually happen? And, and am I good enough? Am I holy enough? Am I pure enough? And he looks at those weaknesses, and instead of acknowledging those weaknesses and saying, yeah, maybe that won't happen, like that all kind of starts to see doubt within our minds and our faith as we start to pray for people. And what Paul is saying is here is, okay, here's this weakness. I'm going to glorify God in it. Yes, I'm weak. Yes, I'm not perfect but God's power is made complete in this. I'm, I'm going to boast over those things because it doesn't matter. The weakness doesn't matter because God works through us. And so if we are looking at the weaknesses within our lives, Paul is saying it's an opportunity to glorify God more, to boast about Christ more, his power, his ability, not ours. He's saying when you're faced with a choice of stepping out in faith and, and ministering and those weaknesses come to mind, not to focus on them and say, well, maybe that's the reason I shouldn't pray for somebody else. Maybe that's the reason I, I shouldn't step out in faith on this big thing God's calling me to do. Paul's saying, no, you step out anyways. You acknowledge it and say, well, God's more than enough to cover that. <laughs> Let me do what he's calling me to do. And he's glorified even more through that. The truth is, is that as redeemed children of God, our strength comes from God. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, God says, let sh- light shine out of the darkness. He's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we have this treasure in clay chars, jars so that this extraordinary power may come from God and, and not from us. On our own, purely human, we don't have the ability to be able to make eternal impact for the kingdom of God. We don't. We don't have the strength. We just acknowledge that right now. You don't. You're not good enough to do that. But you're not purely human anymore. When you gave your life to Christ, Romans tells us that you died with Christ. 
that he was resurrected and you're resurrected to a new life empowered by the Holy Spirit. That the old is gone and the new has come. That the Holy Spirit, God himself, indwells us and then empowers us. If you're here and a son or daughter of God through salvation, you're no longer just simply human with simply human strength. It's not true. And that's why your weaknesses don't matter. Because the power of God living within you is more than enough to overcome and actually glorify him even more in what he's called you to do. We see in Ephesians chapter 2, again, Christian talked about this two weeks ago, where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus four good works which he prepared ahead of time for us to do. We're meant to make eternal impact. To further God's plan. Again, it may not make sense to us as we sit here and we think about our lives and all the things that are happening or the junk that we came from or some of the junk that we're dealing with right now. But in his multifaceted wisdom from Ephesians chapter 3, he chose to use the church, which is you, in order to reveal the gospel to the world around us. He has a purpose and a plan for you to walk through this. It feels hard to believe at times. It's, it's hard to think that we're capable to do this. Again, it's not the truth. Those feelings are not the truth. Satan has messed with us. He's deceived us into thinking that we're less than what Christ actually died for us to be. Which is why I think Paul wrote what he did in Ephesians 1 that we read at the beginning. And I want to read it again here. He starts off by praying. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. He's saying you need to supernaturally grasp, understand, and accept the truth. That it's going to be something that we struggle with in our humanity, feeling like we're not enough. But the truth is that, that we are, are more because what God has done. And, and we see this as we go through this passage. But he starts off by praying, Holy Spirit, would you help them to see and grasp this? Father God, as we continue through this passage this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would pierce through the lies of our enemy, the, the identities that he's got us trying to accept, that as we read through what you have done for us, the Holy Spirit would open our eyes as it did to the church in Ephesus, that we would see who we are in you and what you have called us to, that we would be able to set aside the fake constructed identities of this world and walk as your true sons and daughters in the purposes that you've given to us. Lord, as we read this passage, make it alive to us and may it be a two-edged sword that cleaves down to the deepest parts and casts off any false identities. In Jesus' name, amen. He continues on after he prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He starts off by saying, do you know what is the hope of his calling? He wants us to know how great his calling on your life, on my life is. That he says, I rescued you out. You are now my son and daughter. You are now my cherished possession. And I have stuff for us to do together. 
That is the truth. That's what Paul is saying, that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to. To, to, to knowing what he's actually called us to. Because he's not called us just to have this Christian survival uh, mindset of Jesus is coming back. Hopefully it's sooner rather than later. I just need to hunker down and try and survive until that happens. And the world around me is getting crazier. Maybe it's going to get harder to be a Christian in our country. So let's just like eyes on the prize and, and hold on. But we're the body of Christ. And the body of Christ, Jesus' body is not in this position. At least it shouldn't be. He's calling us to, to move and to be active. To, to be above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, every title given in this age and the one to come. So know what is the hope of his calling. We need to pursue whatever that truth is. We, we need to look through the Gospels and understand that, that not only are sins forgiven, but he has made us to be the righteousness of Christ. To reflect his glory. Then he continues on. To know what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. In verse 18. To, to know what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This is not talking about heaven. A lot of times we might read through this really quickly and say what is the glorious inheritance of the saints. And, and we might start thinking heaven. Like, oh yeah, heaven's going to be great. That's, that's my inheritance. Uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 1, earlier in the book, it talks about how we receive a deposit of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee for our future inheritance in heaven. Uh, and that is talking about ours. This part is not talking about heaven. Because it says, His glorious inheritance. It doesn't say the saints' glorious inheritance. Our inheritance is Jesus. Our inheritance is spending eternity with him in heaven. This is talking about his, about God's glorious inheritance in the saints. This word inheritance here um, can also mean special possession. Some, something to be cherished. And so what Paul is saying and what we prayed to receive right here this morning is a revelation of the understanding of how much God values you. Because he bought you with a price. The, the, the greatest price ever paid, the blood of Jesus Christ from his perfect life, bought you to redeem you. And now you are his glorious possession. His glorious inheritance. That does not lend itself to a mentality of, I'm just this small little broken jar of clay over here that's trying to do the best that I can. God wouldn't buy something like that. Well, actually, let me take that back. He buys something like that, and then through the power of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, he takes that and turns it into something glorious and beautiful for his purposes and says, all right, go. 
He sees us as his glorious possessions, his glorious inheritance, and we need to understand that. And then in verse 19, it continues on. Again, may the eyes of our hearts be enlightened. Holy Spirit, may, may it pierce down into our very sense of who we are. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power, of God's power, towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength, which was exercised in Christ by raising him up from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens. We need to walk out of the truth of identity that the very same power that raised Jesus Christ from death after the cross is the power that's at work in our lives. And it's the power that's enabling us to do everything that he's called us to do. Because we're new creations. Then it goes on to say, you know, here's Jesus, right hand in the heavens, above every ruler, above every authority, power and dominion, above every title, in this age and the one to come, subjected everything under his feet, pointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, and it's us who is the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. You, redeemed son, redeemed daughter of God. You are part of the body of Christ. You are part of his fullness. His power is made perfect and complete in your weakness. Your weakness does not matter. All we have to do is rise up live and walk out of this truth. Father, we come before you. Lord, we desperately need this truth to be the anchor of our identities. I pray that you would work within us. Would you renew our minds, uh, not to be conformed to this world, but to know what your perfect and good will is. And that good will is for us to be the body of Christ. To be more than simply broken human, but to be redeemed, to be the righteousness, the glory of Jesus here on this earth. That, that we as the body of Christ are the fullness of Christ for a purpose, to, to reflect him, to show him, to, to be him on earth. Lord, I pray that you would continue to guide us and lead us as a church how to do this. To step out in faith, trusting you, Lord in every step of the way. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.